Welcome, everyone. Episode 13 of the Fire Nuggets podcast. Today is November 7th, and we are very excited to have Rob Fisher with us as our guest. Uh, goals here are really simple. We're here to bring in great guests and get as much good information from them as possible in a timely manner of roughly 45 minutes to an hour. If we go over, that's completely fine. Um, I'm by myself tonight. Don't have Joey or Nick. They're busy uh, with their families. So it's just going to be me and Robbie. So welcome, Rob, and thank you for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me, Jeff. It's uh, it's odd to be on the other side. I don't normally get on the other side of the table on this, so this will be fun. Yeah, so just going to jump right into it. Let's, let's start talking about your uh, intro to kind of who you are. So you're a battalion chief at Snohomish Regional Fire Rescue. What, uh, what can you tell us about your time there and, and what all you've done? Well, I'm impressed you were able to say Snohomish uh, so easily. So that uh, I think it's because we've been together and I've given you a bunch of crap before about being able to say it. But um, yeah, I started with um, our department is a um, 11 station. We cover, um, we cover 140 square miles, got about a population of 162,000 people. I came on in January of 88 um, as a part paid individual right out of high school, basically. Um, always wanted to be a firefighter since I was a kid. Uh, I remember my first visit to the fire station when I was five. So it was, uh, it was definitely in the cards for me. Um, I thought I was going to be a big city fireman. I wanted to work for Seattle because that's where I grew up and uh, it just never worked out. So I started in 88, like I said, <clears throat> um, was a part-time uh, firefighter moved up through the ranks, got hired on uh, not too long after that was a, you know, in those days um, in my area, I was a driver most of the time. And I know I really missed the, the chance to be, a, you know, to build a solid foundation as a firefighter, uh, promoted early uh, to company officer, uh, was a company officer for 20 years and uh, worked in and out of the training division, been on the tech rescue team for a long time, uh, really love to be involved in training. And then in 2017, I promoted to battalion chief. And now I'm a, a battalion in the, in our East battalion. We have three battalions in, in our department and uh, I'm out East. Uh, so my resources are a little limited sometimes. So I, I get some, you know, unique challenges. All right. Uh, kind of a little off script here. What, what's been your favorite rank or position? Uh, you know, the easy, the, the go-to everybody, you, you know, I've Corley asked this question on his show on the weekly scrap, and I've just been waiting to, you know, hear somebody say something other than, you know, fireman or company officer, but I really did love the job of company officer, but I got to tell you, I, I absolutely love being a battalion chief and I'm sure it's going to take a little bit more time for me to even, you know, I'm comparing 20 years of being a company officer. I never really have a firefighter position because like I said, I went from, I got hired on, I was a driver. So, you know, my, my firefighter years were when I was a part paid and bouncing all around. And um, so I didn't really have a foundation for firefighter. So company officer is definitely, I had a lot of fun. I mean, I spent, spent 15 of my years as a company officer on the ladder truck. So I had, had a really good time there, but I'm having a great time being a BC. I love, um, at, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about leadership and and some of these other things, but I love what I get to do as a battalion chief. And so if I were to, if I was able to do this for like 10 years, um, I probably would probably say that, you know, battalion chief is, is the, is my position. It's where I'm having the most amount of fun and the greatest amount of impact. It's a good answer. It's an interesting answer too. Um, all right. So you're on the regional tech rescue team out there. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. 
Uh, we started Tech Rescue in my department about the time I got promoted. It was in the late 90s. Um, we were an individual organization, just, you know, just doing some tech rescue stuff like uh, ropes. And we had uh, confined space and entrenched. And we really weren't involved in USAR. And then our county, Snohomish County, has done a lot of really good things over my career. And uh, they, they put together a regional team. So um, all the departments in Snohomish County uh, participate in the regional team. So we brought all these individuals together and now we have um, a regional task force or you know um, rescue team. Um, it involves, we have uh, three tech rescue, large tech rescue rigs. Uh, they're not all the same, um, but they're, they're, you know, they laid them out pretty similar. Um, those resources all respond together. Uh, we handled uh, you know, the standard stuff, rope, confined space, trench, uh, USAR, and um, we even have some water rescue stuff in there. You know, a lot of our teams have um, water rescue teams. So, uh, yeah, it's been, you know, you don't see too many tech rescues in, in our area. I mean, if we're doing things, it's, it's typically we've had a couple of trenches. Um, I think we've had a couple of confined spaces in my career, um, a number of rope over the embankment type stuff. But there's just not a lot of tech rescue that goes on. All right. Um, you teach or did teach for the uh, County Fire Academy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, um, I'm a, well, I'm kind of in a different role. I, you know, I used to be the uh, cadre lead for uh, the truck side of things in uh, curriculum development. Um, and now as a battalion chief, I've kind of been just pulling away um, to give more opportunity to some of the younger firefighters coming up through the ranks and, and give them the opportunity. But I started in, in the early 2000s teaching at the State Fire Academy. And um, while we were all teaching up there, there was a number of us from our county that were, were um, uh, adjunct instructors up there teaching truck stuff and engine stuff. And we would always say, man, if our county could just pull this shit together and um, we could put on our own county academy and we could control the the quality, you know, because when you start getting bigger and bigger, you start to lose that, that grasp on, on the quality. And um, yeah, and so a bunch of the chiefs finally decided to try to make it happen. And um, they created a consortium. And so we have a county recruit academy. Um, in fact, I was just teaching this week, uh, ground ladders at it, just filling in because they, they uh, needed an instructor. Um, we run two academies a year. Uh, it looks like I think every academy is about 40 to 45 individuals. They divide them in half, run two cohorts. So when we do like ladders week, we have to do two weeks of ladders. So one cohort does it the first week and they're doing the other one's doing something else. But uh, yeah, I, I enjoy I mean, there's some of my some of my best times in instructing is, um, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about bros and battle, but is just coming out and just doing ground, you know, just, um, just basic fire ground operations and, uh, and loved spending time with the recruits. All right. Let's, um, let's kind of talk about something I'm really happy to hear about, uh, young officers on fire. Can I tell us the origins of that, where it came from, where it's going? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I probably should say that originally when we were going to do this podcast, it was going to be me and Ryan doing it together. And um, I'm real proud of of my relationship with Ryan. And, and he had to back out um, yesterday because Seattle is missing one of their deputy chiefs um, who went missing while going out hunting. 
And so he decided to go out and, and help with uh, the search party. And so he's not here today, but I will say young officers on fire is, is, is Ryan's um, he's, he's the brainchild of it. He's the one that came up with it. Um, I don't remember exactly how Ryan and I first met. I think it might've been at a fire X talk. We were both lecturing, um, which is like a Ted talk style on fire related stuff or a fire themed. And I think that's the first time Ryan and I met and he started young officers on fire. And, uh, I like leadership stuff. I like company officer stuff. I like developing or trying to help and develop, uh, future officers. And so it was just one of those things that, um, he had some good things going on. He, he was sharing books. He was sharing information. He was sharing posts on social media. And so I, I reached out to him and, you know, I'd already joined as a, as a, a member. And I said, um, I've had some um, experience in, in mentoring before trying to develop some mentor programs. And um, so we wanted to see if maybe we can extend this thing out a little bit further. And so that led to our mentoring group, but young officers on fire has been um, we've seen a lot of growth in, in the couple of years that we've had it together. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm, I'm excited to see what you guys do with it. I'm excited to see, see how your guys' conference goes next year, see, see the numbers grow, you know, so that's exciting. Yeah, I should have, I should have put the plug in for that, but uh, yeah, we, um, we've been working on our mentoring thing. Uh, COVID has been very difficult as, as much as it seems like since everybody's hunkered down that we could do a lot of, um, a, a lot of zooming, um, and doing virtual stuff. It just didn't happen. It made it really challenging for our mentoring program. So as we started working through some of this, Ryan really wanted to do a conference and I, I'm like, dude, that that's, that's, that's next level shit. And, uh, and yeah, so we have got a conference coming up in May and in, in the, the Pacific Northwest area, Eastern Washington to be exact. Um, and um, yeah, we're going to have some cool, cool people there. And this will be the first big venture for young officers on fire. Awesome. Um, you're the education and training trustee for Fools International. You want to tell them about that? Yeah, I, I um, <clears throat> after 9-11, um, I was attending a conference and this kind of gets me into the Fools. So the fools, uh, the fools are uh, just a phenomenal group. Um, uh, you know, I didn't know anything about them, but so me and my driver, uh, Chad Berg, uh, which there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stories about Chad and I, and, and he had, he had driven for me for about 17 years. So we had quite the relationship, but we were at a conference in, in California and we were standing on this roof. And I remember the captain, he's a captain from Sac city. His name was Kevin Trost. And he said, you know, as we're standing on a roof, getting ready to do some roof uh, training. And he goes, uh, how many here are fools? And we're like, what the hell is he talking about? And um, he's like, you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that at the pub. We got a lot of training to go on. And, and so at the pub, I started asking, or we started talking about it. And I'm like, wow, this organization is great. Um, basically, the organization is just uh, brothers and sisters that are really into the tradition of the fire service, uh, you know, preserving the traditions, um, having basically remembering our, our fallen brothers and sisters, um, all, you know, a lot of it was tied to training. So, um, I, you know, right after, you know, it was 2001, um, I was in, uh, the Puget Sound Fools here in our area. There was a chapter in 2002. And then in 2008, I got, I uh, was honored, uh, at a convention, uh, to be, um, uh, awarded the, uh, basically the trainer of the year the Dana Hannon award. And, um, yeah, that was, that was incredible. And then 
a couple years after that, the founders reached out and asked if I wanted to uh, join the e-board. I was already on the e-board as a chapter and they wanted to know if I wanted to join the international e-board. And uh, Mike Dugan was the training trustee at the time. They said, why don't you just shadow Dugan, which, you know, everybody shadows Dugan, or I should say not shadows Dugan, Dugan shadows everybody else. He's so huge. And so I hung out with Dugan for a couple of years or a year and a half. And then I took over and now I'm uh, I'm in the role of basically promoting training within the organization, trying to help out wherever we can. And, um, you know, I can let this out now because we've already let it out on the fool side of things, but we're creating some new um, positions in the international. And uh, I'm going to be stepping down from the uh, training position and, and taking a regional rep role. And so I'll, I will be the regional rep, you know, in what's classified as, as the West. So it'll be um, Hawaii. Uh, Alaska, Washington, uh, Oregon, California, uh, Idaho type region. So I'm going to focus my efforts on uh, building up the regions. So yeah, that's, that's the international in the whole. Awesome. Are you going to go to convention next year? Oh, I won't be. Uh, unfortunately, uh, convention, uh, that's been, it's been crazy because we've had to cancel the last two conventions. I've been to most conventions. Uh, I've missed a I missed a convention when uh, one of our brothers uh, had taken his own life. And so I stayed back for the, for his funeral. And then I had a wedding. I missed one of the conventions. I missed the one in, that was in, in Texas, but um, this convention I'm going to miss because I'll be in Germany teaching with the brothers in battle. And so it's convention is the same time that uh, we're going to be over at, at the uh, um, IFART conference. <laughs> That's what it stands for uh, with uh, Stefan. And, and, uh, and so I'll be in Germany. Awesome. Um, you know, you brought up Chad Bird, and I was lucky enough to get to meet him uh, in Washington State when I came out there earlier this year. Phenomenal guy, you know, and, and I, I enjoyed hearing some stories about you and him. Uh, so that kind of brings me to uh, the Highwaymen. Hmm. You're, you're part of that uh, cadre as well. You want to chat about that? Yeah. So uh, Chad's part of the Highwaymen as well. Uh, what happened was uh, I've been a part of a lot of different groups. Um, you know, my first, basically my, you know, I have to give credit to um, the uh, Firetown training who, that was the, basically the first real, you know, organized training that I'd went to really early on in my career, probably in the 99, I think. And uh, taking a couple of their classes, it's more of a West coast approach to truck operations. So heavy on roof, roof operations. So that was kind of like my initial exposure, got on, got on teaching with Firetown Ed Hatfield was the coordinator, um, the founder of Firetown. So I met some really cool dudes uh, teaching with them. Chad, Chad came on board as well. You know, we were working together. So it just was, it was perfect. Um, and uh, we, you know, we taught for a number of years with Firetown and then we kind of did our own things. We were teaching our own forceful entry class. Chad and I put together a group and we taught some truck, some vertical ventilation stuff. And, you know, what was really cool about um, that training is uh, Steve Reno, who's one of the Firetown lead guys. I mean, one of the head, um, Steve would teach with us and we, you know, we just wouldn't call it Firetown. We'd just say, hey, this, you know, ladder 72 training or whatever we came up with. So we would have a lot of guest instructors when we were teaching. And then, you know, you fast forward, uh, I don't know, maybe a decade. And then um, we were teaching classes with, um, or I, I should say, we went to a truck academy together and we met uh william knight um he, he's he's a centric dude let me tell you that 
and um, most people, most people are probably listening to this know who, who William Knight is, but uh, we meet, we meet William. And um, you know, what, what happened was is we were going to a truck Academy. My department was paying for everything, paying for a hotel room, paying for all of it. Um, we didn't do airfare because we could drive to Idaho where this was. It was a two week Academy. And, and I had never met William and uh, William reached out to us and he's like, Hey man, I'm looking at coming over from, from uh, the Georgia area. He works for DeKalb County and he wanted to see what, you know, West coast style LA style truck Academy was like. And uh, his department was going to pay for the pay for his, his entry fee, but that was it. He was paying for everything else. And so I said, well, dude, you know what? Never met you. Hopefully you're not really weird, but uh, you can stay with us in our room. And so we hooked them up and, and that started a relationship with William and then um, kind of tying everything together. William was teaching with other groups. He invited us to go and teach in um, MAFC and we taught together as a, as, as a, just a, an open group of guys at like roof operations. And while we were at MAFC, we were like, Hey, what's, we could come up with something. Why don't we, why don't we, you know, make this like more of a, it's not going to be another group because everybody's in some base group, like brothers in battle or whatever. It's like, let's just make like, um, like we'll call it the highwaymen, you know, like when bands get together and they just want to jam, let's just do something like that. And so we named it after the highwaymen because of, uh, you know, um, uh, the group, the highwaymen. And, and so we said, Hey, this will be great. So me and Berg and Knight and uh, some other guys from Florida and Georgia area, um, a couple guys from LA city are on there. And um, so, yeah, we've taught a, a little bit together. Uh, I haven't taught a lot with those guys because, you know, just busy with other things, but um, yeah, Berg now he even, not only does he teach for, for the highwaymen, but he also teaches with uh, magic city. And so they're doing, you know, he teaches ground ladder operation stuff and, and that's now led for Chad teaching. He teaches aerial ops classes. And so it all ties together, but highwaymen are great, great group of guys. Couldn't agree more with you. They were, they were awesome when they came out. They were a lot of fun too. Um, uh, he's also a highwayman. This leads right into my next one. Uh, you're also part of the roof pervs, which I got to say, if you guys could come up with like your own podcast or own like webcast <laughs> and like somehow explain to people all the different shit you guys look at when you guys look at roofs, because uh, that that Facebook page, anytime one of you one of you four posts something, it's it's honestly golden, and yeah. I, I really enjoy reading it. So, you want to kind of talk about that for people that don't know? Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, it's funny. I I didn't even plan for this one to come up, but it does come up a lot. So the roof perv. Uh, I want to say uh, it was probably Steven Tyler from uh, Eagle um, that was the first one to come up with the idea. What was happening is um, uh, Stephen Tyler. So, so where we went to the truck academy, me and and William and Berg, um, it was in is in Eagle, Idaho, just outside of Boise, and um, so that's kind of how we all kind of got together. Uh, Tyler's on on the cadre with me on Brothers in Battle, and you know we just nerd out on on awesome building construction, and that leads into well that pulls in. Um, um, uh, James Johnson. So he being a, you know, construction nerd from Canada, we were all like on this thing. And I remember I was, uh, and I'm not shitting you here. I'm in a winery in Eastern Washington with my wife and a bunch of friends in this beautiful, absolutely beautiful building built a hundred years old. Um, and it had a, um, oh man, what was the truss? It had this old, 
um, railroad style uh, bridge truss. I don't remember which one it was. And I took a picture of it and it, and it was, it was like this, um, you know, the, the, the wives or spouses probably love it. It's like that washed white look to the building. It was just an absolute beautiful picture. And I shared it with those guys. And so they all, of course, nerd out on, on the building construction. And that led to us, you know, basically creating a group that we just started sharing building construction and philosophies of, of building construction, or I should say, specific to roofs. And, uh, and Tyler came up with the, the, the name because I think somebody told him, you guys are a bunch of roof pervs or something along those lines. So, um, you know, it's been difficult. I don't, I don't have any excuses for our, you know, our just our lack of, of um, more material. William's probably the best when it comes to that. He's, he's always out there doing things and posting stuff. Um, we've had some challenges. You know, we, we kind of go against the grain when it comes to um, the philosophy of like trust and uh, trust is killing firefighters. And so we've, we've uh, maybe been out a little too aggressive for some people. Um, I know, I know William has been a little bit too aggressive at times, but, um, and it's caused some backlash. And so we've had to try to reorganize and take our approach and, um, maybe change our approach a little bit and try to educate more. But I will say, you know, that, uh, I think that uh, how a lot of firefighters and depending on the region that you're, you're a firefighter in, how they look at trusses, they look at it from a very negative, um, um, they fear the trusts. And so we've got this problem in the fire service now that um, we don't really understand building construction that well or roof construction. And so um, um, I will say I feel more comfortable on trust roofs on lightweight um, engineered roofs than I would on a conventionally constructed roof that might be 150 years old. Um, but the roof pervs we were supposed to put out, and this is, if James Johnson is listening to this, I'm tired of ringing, you know, sh shaking his cage, but he's got the last podcast we did, uh, which we did it at uh, firemanship, I think uh, 2019. And um, we did it with an LA city fireman. And so it's a good one. We just have never put it out. And so I'd love to get more together, but you know, you look at all this, I've got, I've got brothers in battle going on. I got young officers on fire. I got the mentoring group. I've got, uh, well, I've got the fools podcast. I've got the nozzle nerds or the, what do they call themselves? I call them the nozzle nerds. Um, the pipe men. The pipe men. Thank you for reminding me. You know, I'm producing their stuff. So I got all these things up there and I'm like, somebody, come on, let's get this roof perv thing going. But yeah, the roof pervs is awesome. Great information. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of like the color commentary for it. I don't have the knowledge base that James Johnson and, and Knight have, you know, I kind of hang on to their coattails. So yeah, no, I, I really appreciate you talking about that. They, they have a Facebook page. Go check it out. They put some great stuff up. Um, uh, Instagram too. Instagram is yeah. probably the best because we, we post. A, I think it's easier communicating through Instagram because we can throw a picture up there and just talk about a few key points and just leave it out there. And then usually, um, you know, sadly, somebody from the East Coast wants to bring up one of the, you know, tragic um, um, uh, collapses of a roof and, and you know, and that we're just, so it, it becomes a, a challenge of trying to balance information, uh, education, and, um, and, you know, we, we understand the, the tragedy and, and uh, we just want to have people kind of look at it from a, a more scientific approach. So, Yeah, and if the listeners want to hear more, uh, these guys did at least two 
that I know of podcasts on Refined by Fire, which Steven Tyler, if you're listening, we miss you, pal. You know, you 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 literally paved the way for, for <laughs> shit like this, man. Well, let me let me just tell you, since we're talking about that, part of the reason why I'm doing uh, the pipe men is, um, you know, Steven got really busy. He's got kids and, you know, it's it's that part in his life that, you know, that uh, he's just not as available as he was before. So um, I've done podcasting and can figure it out pretty easily. So I said, hey, let me help out the pipemen. Um, but the caveat here was I told Tyler, I'm like, look, if we need to bring back Refined by Fire, everybody's asking for it. Everywhere I go, everywhere I talk, they want Refined by Fire back. And I told Stephen that if I produce it, you do the you do the questioning, you set up the guests, you do your thing. I don't know if it'll be as good as when he did it, but if I produce it and edit it and everything, will you do it? And he said, yes. Yeah. So we just, that's only been, I don't know. I think we, we agreed to it about six months ago. So it, it might be the 2022 thing. You might, you might get lucky and see refined by fire coming back. Awesome. I'm excited now. Yeah. Thank you. Um, all right. Uh, kind of getting towards the end of just the bio here. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. So you teach for Brothers of Battle. That's how I've, I've met you and got to hang out with you quite a few times. Let's, uh, let's talk about how you got into it um, and, and what, what you do there. Yeah. If you want to turn this into a two-part series, cause I can, I can talk forever. Just ask my wife and ask my friends, but um, <clears throat> there's a really cool story about Brothers in Battle. Uh, we had, um, so one of the original uh, BIB guys, uh, Josh Materi, uh, good friend, um, you know, his, he's in his, that time of his, his, his life that he's got three younger kids. And so he's busy. So if he's not doing his stuff with Rescue One in Seattle or spending time with his family, um, he's, he's really limited in, in, in getting out and teaching like he used to. He used to teach a lot. So um, Josh was put, piecing together a, a, a force entry class. Um, God, I want to say it was like 2009, maybe 10 or 11, somewhere in there. I don't remember the exact day, but I do have the picture. He brought up, um, uh, Coy from, um, from Stockton. Uh, he had just a bunch of really cool guys. And it was, a, it was probably the first time that we've seen a force entry class. So realistic. I mean, the props were just incredible. And in that class was uh, Cody Trestrell, uh, Brian Olson. Um, oh man, who else was in there? Uh, I think Josh Maggard came in. So you have this, uh, um, Fukai was in there. So you have this original group of BIB guys and we were all taking the same class together. And there is a group picture that I took because I was kind of just helping out. I was a, I think I was a training captain at the department at the time. So we had, my department had like 10 guys in it. So I took this group photo of everybody and that was the beginning. Brian Olson didn't know Cody Trestrell and Brian and his group were, were putting together um, Brian and, and, um, and uh, Rosenbaum were piecing together their stuff. So they were, they were training in what we classify now BIB calls it the, the mountain division in Idaho and Cody and, and Jesse Avery and, and all of these guys we're creating something here. And so eventually what was happening is they were they were teaching in each other's area. And finally they kind of like, Hey, why don't we try to reorganize and let's do this together? Everybody's philosophy was on the same page. 
And uh, it wasn't long after that. Um, I don't know. You'd have to ask Cody. Maybe if you can get Cody on the show, you don't really see Cody do too many of these. But you should ask Cody why he brought me into it. Maybe color commentary, the jokester. I don't know. But um, but I, I was fortunate uh, um, earlier on, uh, probably about 2013, 15 sometime, um, got asked by Cody if I wanted to help out. And so I'd taken a couple of the classes from BIB and and I got on board and now I'm, I'm the old guy with, you know, I, there's not too many chief officers on, well, there's two chief officers on brothers in battle and I'm one of them. So. Awesome. Um, and then the last, but probably the most, and actually it, it is the most important thing of, of the bio and any fireman is you are a family man. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's uh, well to, to speak to the family thing. Uh, I'm well, first of all, I'm, I'm very fortunate to, to have the wife that I have. My wife is super supportive of, um, of the, my, you know, my, my desires. And, and I don't mean that in a negative or in a, in a bad way, but, uh, my interest in the fire service, my interest in being a student, my interest in teaching, um, and sharing, um, all things fire. I mean, I am so fortunate to have my wife, Jody as, my partner in this, um, I wouldn't be able to do the things that I'm doing, but, uh, family is extremely important. I was raised, uh, in a family well, my dad was, was, uh, fairly poor, grew up in Minnesota, you know, in, in all, all things, he was a, he was basically a thug, how my mom and my dad met. I have no idea. My mom was raised, a you know, a military daughter, you know, a Catholic family. And then there's my dad, but my dad was big time into family um, just very proud to have four boys. I'm the oldest of the four boys. And, uh, so th that all stuck. I'm Italian. I'm part Italian, I should say. And so we do Sunday dinners, um, you know, all that stuff. Uh, so much the family style that my wife and I, we sold our downtown condo in Seattle, uh, last year or this year, earlier this year. And we're building our, our house down in Vegas where our son lives and his wife and our two granddaughters. So that we can be closer to the grandkids, and uh, I'm living here in Seattle, and my wife is actually living with the kids down in Vegas, and um, so you know we we're doing that to, for family and for the future. And you know I'm not going to be doing this job too many more years longer, and so I got to plan you know our not only the exit strategy, but uh, what are we going to do to maintain a you know our family uh, our our family connection with our kids and grandkids. Yeah. Uh... And that, that is just the intro folks. <laughs> so, uh, all right. If you want now, me to cut things back, tell me, Hey Rob, just give me no, the short version of this. No, no, no. We, we, we absolutely love it, man. We love it. Uh, um, <clears throat> all right. So uh, you've been able to teach uh, kind of around not only the U S but around the world. I, I know you're going to Germany again. Um, what have you learned from traveling uh, across the, the, the ocean and talking with firefighters over there, getting their perspective and uh, potentially different ways that they do things from us. Well, I, I mean, I can go back as far as my wife and I love to travel. So we do a lot of international traveling. Um, we're going to Italy in uh, February and I'll be in Germany in September of this year or this coming year, I should say. Um, just in general, I mean, we're not even talking about fire service. I think um, world travel will give you a perspective and will help you understand or help you affirm or help you decide that your, your position is, you know, maybe a little too strong in certain areas. 
soon as you you gain a, a, another perspective and and so world travel does that everybody i've talked to um all of my friends that do world travel my probie that i have on online on on the job right now he did a lot of traveling in ecuador and him and his wife um and so it's it, the story is always the same when you talk to people that travel you gain another perspective you learn um how to appreciate the things that you have in your life. Uh, you learn how to, you know, question a lot of the things that you have in your life. Um, you know, I'm not anti, I'm not anti uh, uh, government, but I do appreciate some things that the government does. And I do see how corruption in other worlds have, have made things difficult in their worlds too. So in regards to firefighting, this is, this is really interesting. Um, uh, yeah. I, I got to teach in Germany and the, you know, Stefan, he does he does some really good stuff he he brings german firefighters to america every year in fact he just he literally it was open for a week and he's already sold out every spot and they they travel from from germany and they go to the orlando conference and um and then they they spend you know not only do they go to the conference they they go and visit some fire stations and they have a lot of connections so that's essentially how we got connected with with stefan and and teaching over there um, I got to go the second time that brothers in battle taught, and then, um, uh, then I'll be going for the third time or our third time going over there, but German firefighters are very similar to American firefighters. So one of the things that you learn, you know, going internationally is, um, building construction, everything's going to fall back to building construction. When we talk about our tactics and how we do tactics, if there's something that we argue about here in the American fire service, and you hear all the time, Hey, the fire department is local. We can't have like they do in Europe, a, an, you know, an overarching government of this is how we fight fire in America because the buildings are different. I agree. I absolutely agree. Because unless you were to say you have to have good understanding and very comfortable with all types of construction, we don't. You know, I think we're fooling ourselves in, in the American Fire Service when you say, I know, I know the uh, five types of construction. I can identify them. You, you, I don't think we really do. I think that's one of our challenges. So in Europe, it's a lot different because their, their building construction is a lot different. They don't see a lot of wood frame building construction. So that's why you see their success with like 3D fire attack because their buildings are more contained. Um, one of the really interesting things, I got into a debate with a doctor, Dr. Reich from Germany. He, he lectures a lot on, on um, uh, fire behavior and uh, myself and uh, Matt Fullerton were going to give a lecture on search. And, and he, he had a lot of criticism for the American Fire Service because we kill 100 firefighters every year. And, and I told him, I said, well, I, I'm going to disagree with you on that, Doc, because I don't think that we kill 100 firefighters every year. But, you know, to boil this down so that it's not a long, long story, he basically looks at it as that... When there is a fire in somebody's house in Germany or wherever they were, it's like, that is their problem. We come and make sure that it doesn't get worse. Where the philosophy in America, generally speaking, is that's not their problem. That's our problem. We are the, we are the fire service. You know, we, we adopt or we take on that problem ourselves. And so I think just the philosophy alone that, uh, you know, you have a fire in your, in your building, you know, hopefully you live, but we're just going to try to prevent everybody else from being killed where we go. No, we don't want anybody to die and we're going to do everything we possibly can. So 
I think building construction is different. Obviously the, you know, the basic stuff, the hose sizes are different. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're how they approach things, their ladder trucks, you know, in, in America, a truck company, if you're in the urban setting, I won't, we won't talk about suburban, but urban setting, you know, a ladder truck of four or five guys is not uncommon. A lot of ground ladders, a lot of equipment in, in Germany or in, in Europe, a truck is a bucket and it's two firefighters on it. And there's, you'll be surprised, there's no ladders on the ladder truck, on the tower ladder. The ladders are on the engine. And the reason is, is that the tower ladder in Germany uh, essentially is to rescue people. So they position on the front of the building and they rescue people and they do defensive, you know, an elevated master stream. That's it. They don't function the same way we do. So um, those are, those are just a couple of the things that, you know, are different between us and, and Europe. That was great. Um... I'm going a little off script here because I, I wrote down a note that I wanted to make sure I, I touched it. Um, so, uh, Chad Berg, um, let's let's go back to your your company officer days, okay? Uh, I, I think this is something like really important that you. Yeah, you can I, I will on. say right now, Chad was a challenged, challenging employee. Yes, is that we're going to go? <laughs> no, uh, no, no. <laughs> so, so uh, what I really want to talk about is when you were the company officer, how. Uh, how helpful and important was it to you to have like uh, a good senior man like, like Chad, when you guys built that relationship and he was like your go-to guy. Cause I think, you know, that, that is kind of like a lost thing uh, in, in some departments is, is a good senior man. Like the, the officer, you know, he, he should just be able to lead and then the senior man takes care of him, you know, and the senior man takes care of the crew. He is the middleman, you know, yep. so just kind of want to get your, your thoughts on it. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I will say senior man or woman, uh, we don't have, uh, we have women on our job, but not very many of them, but um, the senior position is, is critical. And so most of, here's the problem with where, where I was working in a lot of the suburban departments, you have a company officer, you have a driver, and then you have a firefighter. That's it. You just have those three individuals. So to have the structure that you would see like an FDNY, um, I mean, I love listening to Cody and his stories and the senior man in all of the houses that he worked in and, and what was that role? What did that individual do? How, how, you know, how they learned so much from this guy. Um, in, you know, like in, in Chad and I, we, we, we started working together really early on. And so the bad thing was, is that Chad and I had a very similar mindset. So that just could create more havoc, which uh, we, uh, for the record, we did get broken up one time. Uh, the ops chief, seriously went to the battalion chief our battalion chief and said those two are not working together any longer and they pulled chad from driving for me and moved him to an engine company and so yes chad drove an engine company for for a period of time while we were being disciplined for our 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 behaviors but early on chad and i agreed that the way that you approach a lot of these problems is as a company officer i'll say i was the bad cop you know and that I was the one that laid down the law that had, you know, made sure that we followed the rules as best we can uh, set the tone for the day. And then Chad as the driver. He was the good cop. So he'd be the one that's like, Hey, he'd pull the firefighter said, Hey, this is what we don't do to upset the company officer. Or, you know, this is the way that the, that, that we do things around here. And so we played that role really well. And when we started getting probies, you know, I think it's essential that you have the, senior firefighter, senior man, senior, senior woman, senior, whatever you want to call them. I think it's essential to have that. And um, I'm fortunate right now where 
in my, you know, in my station where I have an engine company, uh, our medics are firefighters as well. So, um, they, they work on the medic unit and, and they're doing firefighting stuff. So I've got a number of firefighters that help out with the probie. And when the company officer is, you know, they've got their things that they do. The senior firefighters are the ones that are actually given the, probably the best education to our probie. You know, they're the ones that can slow things down and uh, can, can explain it. So the role is critical. Chad was a great one. We played it all the time. Um, we even went as far as that um, Chad's office was the bay. Anytime shit was going on in the bay, it was Chad's. And he and I even got into a pretty decent um, um, argument one time because he likes to keep the lights on in the bay all night long. And I went out there one time and turned them off and he did not like that because that's his office. And, uh, you know, I had to eat a little crow on that because he doesn't, he says, I don't come in your office and turn your lights off. So, um, so my office was inside the station and in, in, in the, on the, on the truck and his office was the bay. So creating that, that separation and, and delineation made it really clear to the, to, to the firemen that were working with us, firefighters and the, and, and essentially, you know, and, and even the probies that it was, it was perfect. I think it gives the best opportunity for mentoring, which hopefully we get to talking a little bit more about, um, down the road. So yeah, I'm very fortunate. Um, Chad, you know, as much as some people give a shit about he, he and I are married, my wife is still better than Chad, but Chad, Chad makes a great fire wife. You know, he's, uh, he's, he, he, we were a good team together. Nice. Um, so this question is actually from Nick, uh, but he couldn't be here. So he uh, said that he attended your Quint Essentials class, and he said that, uh, first of all, I want to say it was a great class, and uh, what gave you the idea for it? Um, so the Quint Essentials class, uh, well, thanks, Nick. Too bad you're not here to enjoy this, this uh, conversation. Um, the Quint Essentials class came as a result of... Um, God, these stories could be long. I'm, I'm going to kill you guys over these stories. So we had, um, we had a quint and it only accidentally did they actually put it at the station that we were at, or I should say it happened before I got promoted and was, was there. I actually drove the, the quint um, before I got promoted to company officer, but we were growing as an organization the department had purchased a quint. And so this will lead to where the problem is with the quints. If we talk about that. They had no idea how they were going to use it, but we didn't have enough engines to open up the new station. So what do you do? Hey, the Quint, it's got a pump. It's got a tank. It's got ground ladders. We are going to staff a ladder truck now. Just poof. one day, we're just going to staff a ladder truck. We're going to staff the Quint and we're going to put it down there. So we had worked a few years. There was a struggle. I mean, I was already taking truck classes. I was trying to, to focus a lot of our efforts on truck operations uh, anytime that you have change in, in the organization, you're, you're getting, you know, constant uh, pressure. Uh, a lot of the company officers were getting pissed. Get this. Um, there was times that we would go to fires first due and we'd have an engine, I don't know, 30 seconds behind us. And the company officer would get pissed at me because I did not stretch the line to the fire on my quint. And I gave it to him to do as an engine. Today, I don't know a lot of the nozzle guys that are out there would say, oh, man, you know, I don't want the fire. So, so it became a problem 
that we were having this issue. And I'm like, why do we have this issue? And why the hell do we have these quints? These are the, these are absolutely the worst apparatus designed by man. And um, so I started spending a lot of time kind of researching what's the history behind the quint. And, um, and I thought, well, this would be good because I was a suburban department. I was working in a suburban department. The quint was not working the way that we wanted to. And uh, so their first original name was Quint Essentials. And then I modified it and I called it uh, Quint Essentials, um, single, single truck operations for the suburban department. And, or I should say, yeah, yeah, Quint Essentials, I got, I got to remember what I called it. It's Quint Essentials, uh, si- single truck. Yeah, it was for, for basically suburban departments with a single truck, which changes everything. Because the first thing, like with Quint, everybody wants to talk about is, oh man, St. Louis, they had, you know, the total Quint concept. Well, that works when everybody's a Quint, you know, you can have the first one work as an engine and second one work as a truck and so on and so forth. But what do you do when your only ladder truck that you have in your department is the Quint and they're the first ones to arrive. And just by chance where the department, where my department put our ladder truck or the Quint, it was in the busier area. So it was first due a lot. And we had to make a decision. Are we going to function as a ladder? Or are we going to function as an engine? So that's kind of the, what kind of created that, that program. And I taught that for, I don't know, five years at FDIC and, and lectured around. And I still kind of help. I don't want to call it consult because they're like, Hey, what's it cost for you to consult for us on this? I'm like, well, how about we just talk about it? And then if you see me one day, you can buy me a beer or a glass of wine or something. And we'll call that good. I'm a bad businessman. That's right. Most, most good people are bad businessmen. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Yeah. You actually just, just said that you hope you, we bring it up. Um, let's kind of talk more about uh, mentorship, what it means to you, what you want to do with it, what, uh, how you do it. And um, just kind of take it away. Yeah. Um, I know one of the questions, cause you know, like anybody that's planning a good podcast, you kind of want to set the uh, guest up a little bit. So you kind of have an idea of what we're going to be talking about. And I know one of the, one of the potential questions that was going to come up was what are some of the troubles I see in the fire service? And I think one of the troubles is, is our, our, our mentoring has changed. And so, you know, we just talked about the senior man, um, position and that has changed a lot. So, um, I just was with my buddy, um, this last couple of days, he's a, he's an IT director for Amazon. So he's up there a ways and he has like 4,500 employees underneath him. So he's, he's, he's kind of high up in the, in the echelon of Amazon. Um, and he, he worked at uh, Starbucks for a long time. And, and so all of these corporations have these very formal mentoring programs, and one of the things that we talked about is that there's a, you know, I was trying to explain the American fire service. And so there's been a lot of change and we've lost the ability or we've lost that sensation of being able to have the senior man, senior firefighter fill the role. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to create these formal programs like the corporations do. And it, and it doesn't necessarily work really well. I mean, um, my first mentoring program that I worked on Uh, was in uh, 2010, 11-ish. And we had just hired uh, 18, for our our size department, hiring 18 firefighters was the biggest hire that we've done in the history of our department. And we knew that um, we have a very um, robust uh, proby program. I mean, their proby book is huge. There's a lot of work involved in it. Um, You know, it'd be like, it'd be like going to 
being going to med school and then all of a sudden you know you spend all that time you're studying so much you're doing so much you're just like you're you're running low on sleep just trying to learn everything you possibly can and then all of a sudden you're done just it just ends and and there's nothing there so we decided we wanted to create a mentoring program for firefighters to help help um, sustain that intensity level, you know, keep things going, keep them as a student, and hopefully help them uh, work them their way into uh, future um, uh, informal leaders and in potentially formal leaders. So we put together a program, and some of the mistakes we made was like, you know, we we decided to have them. We picked who was going to be their mentors and tried to create relationships by like, Hey, Rob, you're going to be mentoring this guy. And, um, that was a problem because, you know, mentor mentoring is essentially it's, it's, it's mentoring comes from the mentee, the individual that need that's looking for mentorship. It doesn't come from me saying, Hey, Jeff, I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to tell you what you're doing right and wrong. And so we, one of our problems is we lost the, you know, how do we create this mentor program? And so that was a good learning lesson. We did that for about a year. The, one of the big projects we did because my buddy, John was working at Starbucks. We got to go down to Starbucks and hang out with a bunch of vice presidents and got to see how they did things. And um, we got to go through their kind of look through their mentor program, which is a very formal process. Um, and it was really, really cool. Uh, after we got done with that, you know, I was just, you know, I have my, my mentors, everybody that I've reached out to that uh, I, I bounce things off of when I'm looking for some guidance. And I started to realize how we had done that wrong. And then young officers on fire came around and then uh, Ryan had reached out to me like it's supposed to be. And he, he's like, Hey man, I'd, I'd love if you wouldn't mind helping me out, you know, basically be my mentor. And he came and did a ride along with me uh, one day. And we just, you know, we stayed up till like, I don't know, one, two o'clock two o'clock in the morning, just talking fire service. And uh, it was great. And so we said, Hey, let's create a mentoring. Let's, let's take young officers on fire and let's take it to the next level. Let's do this, this mentor group. And I told them, I said, man, you know, the, here's the problem is if we try to assign people to mentors, it's not going to work really well. And well, that's kind of where we're at. We're, we found that that did not work out as well as we wanted to. Um, so uh, I'm on the journey, always on the journey to look for, for new stuff and for mentoring. Um, one of the, one of the groups that we were using in our, in our, um, young officers on fire mentor group was, uh, a, a group called three by five leadership. Uh, Josh Bowen is the, is the coordinator of it. He's a, one of the professors at West point and, uh, they do a lot of leadership stuff. It's all free. So three by five leadership, look them up. It's great. And, um, and they do webcasts, uh, like every quarter, again, it's all free. He shares a lot of really cool stuff. Well, just the other day, he posted up this uh, mentoring thing that he got in the mail and it's a military focused type mentoring. And, and so I asked Josh, sent him a message on LinkedIn, you know, is that only for the military and, and, um, or I'm, I'm sorry, I posted that on LinkedIn and the, the group, the group, um, they sent me a message back saying, Hey, no, we have, uh, we have um, uh, partnerships and, you know, and just the normal population. And yeah, we'd love to have you come on board and, and, and participate. So I'm always looking for another way to mentor, to share. But if there's one thing I would say about mentoring to the firefighters and to company offices that want to be more mentors is that, again, it is, it's, I think that it is mentee 
focused, meaning that the individual needs to look for somebody, should always be looking for somebody to help them out, to bounce stuff off of. And, uh, and you know, I, I make myself available, but I don't go out shopping for firefighters and say, hey, let me mentor you. I mean, that just kind of sounds, sounds weird when you do that. So, um, but yeah, mentoring is, an, is, is, a, is a very critical part of our, our fire service. I think we're lacking. Thank you for, for putting that in. And I, I wrote down that three by five leadership. I'm going to check that out. <clears throat> yeah. Um, all right. So as you know, when we went through your, your uh, excellent bio, uh, you've been pretty, pretty lucky to be with, with some excellent, excellent firefighters and, and work alongside them, you know, uh, highwaymen, BIB, young officers on fire, fools international, you know, um, what, what do you learn from being involved in all these organizations? Um, well, first of all, I learned from working with all these, these, it's a, it's a diverse group of individuals. I mean, we come from all aspects of the American fire service. And like I said earlier, is that I truly believe that, um, you know, uh, firefighting is, is local. So you kind of got to know your area. Um, and you know, we, we say it all the time, like on, on the roof pervs and a bunch of stuff, it's like stay in your lane. You know, I don't know what the job of an OV is. I mean, I, I can look at the, I know that the tasks that the OV does, but I've never worked as an OV in, in FDNY on a, on a tenement building. So I don't truly know that job. So even though I've got 30 years on the job, I don't talk about OV stuff and I don't, I'm not critical of them. I try to learn from them. And so I take that same approach with all the guys that I'm, I'm teaching with um, and hanging with. I mean, I, I'll tell you right now, one of the best ways to learn is to teach. And it's, and it's said by a lot of people, but it truly is because uh, you open yourself up to vulnerability of, of not knowing something. And uh, I think that's one of the, you know, everybody's ego in the fire. There's a lot of ego in the fire service. And so when you don't do things because, well, I'm the company officer, I'm not going to force the door because I don't want to look like an idiot. I have uh, forced doors as an instructor and having a hard time. And I show the students that sometimes, you know, you're just not on your game. Um, so I, I gain a lot of stuff from, from teaching with these guys. I gain a lot from just watching recruits or watching our students um, and how they process a problem, how they address it, focus, you know, how they um, adapt to the problem. And, and watching that, you're like, oh, I didn't expect them to do that. But then you start seeing a pattern where other, other recruits are doing it. You wonder why they do that. And so then you can, as, a, as an instructor and even as a student, you start learning, hey, I never even saw this this way, you know, or I never even knew we could resolve this problem this way. And I have no problem telling, you know, a recruit or telling uh, a, a, one of our students, that was, that was pretty cool. Will you show me that again? And um, so I'm, I'm constantly learning from the guys. And again, it goes back to the diversity. I learned from, from all around the country and I get to get to find out, you know, how they approach their problems. Awesome. Um, I, I know we talked about uh, like, like mentorship and stuff, but kind of a uh, broad brushstrokes um, when it comes to the job as the American fire service, what are we doing right? And what are we doing wrong in your opinion? Well, I think one of the things we're doing right is we're bringing the focus back on uh, there's only one, there's only one fire department, you know, and uh, I don't remember who was the first one is like, there is no one 912. You call 911, you have a fire. We're the only ones. And there's, there's nobody else that's coming that's going to solve the problem. So I'm glad that the fire service is 
going back that way. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a ground, it's, it's, it's grassroots. It's uh, it comes from, from firefighters wanting to be better at their job. And they've created some great instructors, um, Aaron Fields, Jay Bonifield, um, you know, a bunch of great truck guys uh, that are out there. Cody Trestrell, all those guys, they're the ones that are kind of driving the, you know, driving the, the, um, kind of the, the engine, I don't want to say engine, we'll say truck. Cause I like truck better than the engine. They're driving the truck in the right direction for the fire service. Um, another thing we're doing really well, uh, Brian brush is just killing it. And in the group that's doing, uh, the firefighter rescue surveys and, and putting our focus on what are we truly here for, you know, really challenging our chiefs and the elected officials that really want these really cool, um, um, visions and, and they want these mission statements. And when they say save lives, you know, they want to put that in their mission statement. Well, when we're starting to show them how we can do it better and that we can make a positive change by through the data that's being produced by firefighter rescue survey, I think that's phenomenal. And, uh, I look forward to seeing where that's going. Those are the things that I think are going right for the fire service. And, and for my EMS buddies that are out there, I'm not anti-EMS. We need to be doing EMS. Um, we need to be taking care of the public in all aspects, and EMS is just one of them. Um, I would say that maybe we need to restructure our EMS system a little bit and how we do things. But outside of that, I'm glad that we're back on the focus of, of fire, and, and I love seeing the, the data coming from the firefighter rescue surveys. I think we're going to see a lot of good stuff coming out of that in the future. The things that we're not doing well, uh, I don't think that we do initial training, um, focused on the right things. You know, uh, I don't even remember what the IFSTA is for building construction It's probably only two hours for building construction, fire behavior. It's, you know, two hours or whatever it is. And, uh, and I think that is that we're, we're setting our firefighters up for failure. We need to focus more on understanding fire behavior. And I don't know what number that is, but we're getting better at it, you know, with UL and all those things that are going on. Um, we need to understand fire behavior and we need to understand building construction. I think that generally speaking, when I'm talking to firefighters, very few really understand building construction. They're just able to go, oh, that's a type five or that's a, you know, that's a type one construction. They really don't know it, you know, or they don't know roof. Um, they don't know roof components. You know, they'll say, well, we can't be on a, on a trust roof because it's, it's just going to it's killing firefighters left and right. It's like, well, you should look at the data. It's not really killing firefighters. And I think uh, Bill Carey, I had posted it on my Facebook page. It's probably been over 10 years, I think, is the last time that we've had a firefighter actually lose their life um, falling through a roof uh, wearing full PPE. So, um, so I think where we're failing is we're failing on the information that we're actually teaching our firefighters and our emphasis. We need to put more emphasis on building construction, fire behavior, and I think we need to put more emphasis on, on mentoring. That's the one thing that I really like. I, I don't have the answers for it. Like I said, you know, earlier on, I'm trying to figure it out myself. And that's, that's the one thing that I want to, when I leave the fire service, whenever that is, is I want to have a better understanding of what, how we can improve this and uh, kind of leave that behind uh, to grow. But I think we just are not developing our company offices and our battalion chiefs in generally speaking. I mean, I know there's some busy departments and, in urban areas, they, they, they have more opportunity for that. But the suburban fire department makes up the majority of the American fire service. And, and I don't think the suburban fire departments have it down. So. Thanks. Those are good answers, man. Um, 
kind of looking into the future, if you could tell the future, uh, what would training and learning and education look like in 10 to 20 years? More of it. Um, we get more of it in, in realistic training. So I, obviously I'm with a cadre, all of our cadres put on some very realistic training. I'll, or I should say all the cadres that I teach with put on very realistic training. And that's part of the reason why I like being a part of the, those teams. Um, it has to be realistic training. Um, we have to do more of it. So I can just speak for my job. We're getting, you know, we do, we do target solutions and uh, I'm not anti-target solutions. There's, there's ways that we could use that to our benefit. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking at potentially becoming, or I'm, I should say I'm interviewing for the deputy chief of training for my department. And so, um, so I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I see how we need to use this, but I think we need to change some things on it. So um, we need to do more training. And, and again, on my job, we do a lot of mismanaging of our priorities. Priority one is to go on calls. Priority two is to train. Priority three, I don't know what it is, but I don't care because if I'm going on calls in, in, in the area that I'm, you know, my, my station is, is a moderate busy station. It's not super busy. It's not like some of these engine companies that are doing, you know, 8,000 calls a year, but um, my guys keep busy. And when they have a proby, they've got multiple hours of training with a proby, but they also need to focus on their own training, you know, not just developing a proby. And we're doing that wrong, in my opinion. So in the next 10, 20 years, what I want to see is data-backed training, data-backed programs. I want to see us do more training and I, and I want to see more realistic training. I'm not into the, um, you know, I, I, right now, as I said, I'm not into the virtual training, the you know, let's put on, um, you know, 3d goggles or whatever it is. And, and here's a pretend nozzle in your hand and, and aim it in that direction. Uh, I don't see that maybe, maybe down the road, we could, you know, we might see something with search and being able to put people in environments through some of that virtual stuff, um, where they would, uh, it would be very similar to what we would be in, in a normal environment, but you just can't replace doing realistic training. So. I agree with you there. Um, all right, we're kind of kind of winding down here. Uh, what is uh, I, you know since you're with Brothers in Battle, I already I already know the answer to this. <laughs> what is the best conference you've ever attended? <laughs> That's a really tough. I mean, I'll I'll say Brothers in Battle, the the Firemanship Conference is by far I think um, energy level wise. Have you been, Jeff? Have you been to? No, I was actually, so I was going to come out last year. Like I, I literally had signed up and then, uh, you know, COVID yeah. happened. So, um, so those that haven't been to the firemanship conference, um, it is a, it is high energy. Um, it is intense. Um, uh, Cody, even, even us as cadre instructors, we don't really know Cody's plan. I mean, he keeps it really tight close to the, you know, to the vest. So, um, we find out kind of about just a little bit before everybody else finds out, but it isn't, it is just probably the best conference that I've been to. But when we're looking at conferences and training, it's really difficult to say that is, you know, the one you, you have to go to, because it just depends on where you're at in your career and in your life and what your, 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 your need is for training. I mean, I've had like, 
Uh, Firemanship is a great conference to go to. I've had some classes that have been just phenomenal in, in realistic training that, um, you know, I put up there. Uh, I had, I was fortunate to be able to attend the LAFD leadership Academy. That's probably one of the best trainings that I've had for, um, for, you know, officer training um, program. So it just, it just really all depends. There's so many different things that are out there, but I will tell you from when I first started in the fire service, in the early, you know, it was in the late 80s, but in the early 90s, what we see today for conferences didn't exist back then. We've seen a lot of growth. Um, not to talk bad about FDIC, I've been to FDIC for, I can't even tell you how many times I've been to FDIC. FDIC is a great place to get um, some, some uh, showcase training and to bring brothers and sisters together and you know, you can run in just about anybody at FDIC, so it allows for networking. But the the organic conferences that have popped up in the last 10, 15 years all around, um, you guys do a great job with Fire Nuggets. And um, all of those are some of the best training you're going to get. And the reason why is that it allows for them to be very uh, realistic, as, as realistic as possible, and the intimacy of being able to work with some of the best in the American Fire Service and uh, literally having the opportunity to, to spend time outside of just that scenario that you might be doing, but gaining more perspective from them. You just don't get to do that at the bigger conferences. And um, I think the bigger conferences are going to turn into more, um, you know, more like a um, uh, exhibit and uh, vendor thing. And that we probably won't see as much hands-on training. It's getting hard for them to do it. So. All right. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good answer. Um, what is the best class you've ever attended? Oh, um, I, I got to say, um, I mean, and this is in my in my truck years, the going to the Quad County Truck Academy, uh, in I think it was 2016 that I went to. That was probably, I'd been to a number of truck academies. Um, I attended fire towns, I taught fire towns. Um, it was probably the one of the best ones um, that I had ever been to. It's got, um, the truck academy essentially had a, a West Coast approach to, you know, the LA style uh, roof ventilation operations. Um, we walked roofs, we did vent over fire. Uh, we learned how to operate chainsaws in a smoke-filled environment on this vent over fire prop. We cut holes over fire venting through. Um, we had the props that they had at uh, at at Eagle um, was incredible. Um, you know, we one of the final scenario day they had uh, like a big box store with a strip mall attached to it. So you had fire in the big box store, and then you had these strip malls. They had HVACs on the roofs. They had um, gas pipe with PVC piping on the roofs. They had smoke machines everywhere. Um, you know, just everything. So I got to say the, as realistic and, and especially at that time, that was probably one of the best classes that I had ever had, um, from a realism standpoint. Um, uh, Nick, who was, he ended up becoming, um, uh, Eagles, uh, training chief, um, Nick put in, I mean, he's a, he had a phenomenal mind of understanding building construction and his approach to things. Um, and he had these, he made these, these little models of different types of building construction. And we would sit down and do table talk discussions with like a model of a, of a commercial business 
Um, and it was awesome. So that was probably the best hands-on one that I had had. And then, um, and again, going back to like my leadership one was the LAFD Leadership Academy. It was four months long, one week a month, basically. So a, a total of, a, of 40 hours. But being at the LAFD, um, it was uh, basically they were using the curriculum for leadership that they teach so, to the uh, West Point cadets um, in their junior year. Uh, PL 300 is the book. And it's, um, it's like 25 um, uh, behavioral, you understand 25 behavioral um, adaptations. And so they, they connect all the leadership to it. So that was an incredible experience to be able to do that from a leadership standpoint. So there's a couple. Awesome. Um, what's the best book you've ever read? Uh, my favorite one um, was Tribe by Younger. Um, I right now I'm reading. Uh, right now I'm reading. Well, I'm actually doing the audio book and reading at the same time. I'm reading two books. Um, that's kind of got me going. It's the Culture Code, and then the other one is Risk by um, uh, General Stanley McChrystal. So uh, I'm really getting into the Risk book. I'm trying to understand uh, risk. Um, I was in leadership under fires program just this last, uh, couple months. And so it was one of the books that came up on there. And, and so just trying to, you know, get a good grasp of how we look at risk. So those are two, three of the books that I'm, I'm really into. All right. Uh, and what is your favorite podcast or what is one that people should be listening to? Let's put it that way. I mean, uh, other than, uh, other than fire nuggets and, you know, the roof pervs, if they ever come back or, um, the one that I really get into, I, I mean, there's, there's so many podcasts out there. It's really hard to just narrow down just one or two. Um, I, I do like, uh, Corley's, uh, weekly scrap. Um, he has some really cool guys, uh, firefighters on there. Uh, I think he just had, um, chief McGrail. So if you've never heard chief McGrail talk, um, him, he's great. I uh, I know uh, Kurt Isaacson's been on there, and Kurt's great. I mean, he's Kurt's stirring shit up uh, constantly. So, so yeah, the weekly scrap. Um, uh, what other one? Uh, leadership under fire. I mean, I went through that program. They talk a lot about some leadership stuff, and they have some really cool uh, lectures on there. Um, anytime I listen to some of their podcasts, it's like, oh man, they got a book that they make recommendation and what they talked about in in the in the podcast. It's like, God, I got to read that book. So now I got a stack of books. I'm here in my office and I've got like five books that I've picked up that I have to read um, from podcasts and being a part of Leadership Under Fire stuff. So Leadership Under Fire's podcast is great. Um, you know, not because I produce the Pipemen, but the Pipemen have some good stuff they're talking about from the perspective of, of engine operations. And it's, uh, you know, three big swingers on there and, and, uh, Romagus and Jay Bonifield and, and James Nisbet, uh, they got great information. Um, there's, it's just so hard. There's just so many of them that are out there. Uh, Melons, you know, they have Melons uh, podcasts. Um, shit. That one, that one's not a fair question because it's like setting you up for failure. You're going to forget somebody. I feel like I'm on like the uh, Oscars and, you know, I need a, I need a sheet of paper to make sure I don't forget anybody. Yeah, I, I, I will add this because I, I just listened to this one the other day, uh, the Journeyman Firefighter Podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, they had Brian Emmenecker. I, I don't know if I said that right, but that episode was absolutely awesome. So 
I gotta, I gotta throw that one in there. Uh, Grant and those guys do a great job. So. And plus his, you know, the other one is the grabs and, and Grant does a really good job with just like, and, and what's so cool about that podcast is really, really short. I mean, typically they're like 15 minutes, not like the hour and half that we're going to do on this one, but um, grants are short, just like, Hey, tell us a little bit about your department. Tell us about the scenario. You know, what was this fire and how'd you guys do it? And, you know, and he's tying it back to the firefighter rescue service. So there's another one. I mean, there's just so many of them out there. It's just really hard to, 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 you know, to nail down even top 10. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, that uh, actually was the last question I had for you. If you have something else to add, uh, you can add it. Um, and then, mm-hmm. but if not, you know, we appreciate your time. Well, I'll just say, um, you know, it's, uh, it's just an honor being on here and I love, I love working with you guys and um, you and I, we're going to be teaching together here this end of this week. Um, Cause brothers and battle are coming out your way. And uh, what I really love about the American fire service, I know my time on the American fire service is going to be ending, you know, in, in so many years. And, um, but what I love seeing as, as my time is coming to an end is that it seems like, you know, that as Tom Brennan once said, you know, I was fortunate to be able to listen to Tom Brennan lecture multiple times and, and, um, but he, he, one of the things he always said is that we need to take back our American fire service. We need to take back the fire service. And, I, and I'm seeing that happen now with a lot of the younger guys that are excited about being, you know, quality firemen or firefighters. You know, I don't get caught up on the name. Um, women make great firefighters as well. So, but um, I, I love seeing that the American fire service is, is doing that. And there's the youth of the American fire service is, is stepping up and taking that role. So it's great. I feel really good that when I walk away, whenever that's going to be, that it's in good hands um, that moving forward. Um, you know what? I, the other thing is I, I never say be, be safe anymore. I used to say that all the time. Hey, be safe out there. And the more I start reading about risk and the more I start understanding our roles, it's like our, our fire department, you know, our jobs are unsafe. What we do is unsafe all the time. And that um, we need to be a smarter fire service. So now I, you know, I try to close everything out with, um, you know, be smart, think basically. And, uh, and I think that's um, what we need to do a lot more of is, and we talked about it, it's just more education, more training, really start to be better critical thinkers. Um, and, and that's for every role, you know, company officer doesn't, doesn't get a, you know, just do all the thinking. Everybody needs to be thinking. And it's great to see that, um, we're starting to see the role of the firefighter gain that position that, you know, we want our firefighters thinking, making decisions on their own. They don't need to be told what to do all the time, that they should be able to, um, to do that. And when you lead, when you read any of these books on leadership on high performance teams and such, um, that's the one thing that separates the, the best high performance teams is that they don't need to be directed. Um, they, they're able to think on their feet. They're able to make um, good decisions on their own and they're able to adapt and, and respond to it. So, I'm seeing that in the American Fire Service, and I think that's great. And uh, um, yeah, that's about it. I appreciate uh, the the time here. I know what what it takes to put one of these things on, so I appreciate uh, being on the show and and uh, keep on keep on learning out there, people. There's plenty of opportunity to learn. So hopefully, I'll see see some of you guys one day at one of these conferences. Well, thank you so much, Robbie. We really appreciate your time, and I'll uh, see you this weekend. Sounds good, brother. Thank you.